0: Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am very honored today to have my new friend, Steve McEwen, with me. Steve... actually left his second marriage and faced the unsettling reality that he had been unhappy, lonely, and felt disconnected for most of his life, and that he had always turned to his partners to fix that. So at age 48, Steve decided to learn how to become a happy being. Today, 11 years later, his life is transformed, so much so that his friends tell him they cannot believe how much he has changed. Steve is writing a book on finding lasting happiness and he freely shares his insights from his decade of research and firsthand experience on social media. I am so excited to have you, Steve. I know we are going to have an amazing conversation. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me on your program. Delight—it's a delight.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so we we talked a little bit last week, and you told me that you were a diehard romantic.
1: Yes, your I-
0: whole life.
1: I believed, I truly believed that romantic stuff where there's the one out there. There's a soulmate waiting for you. When you find them, you will be complete. You'll be happy. Your life will have meaning. They'll accept you for everything you are and there'll be no arguments and life will just be wonderful for the rest of your life and that'll be your your wonderful existence. I really thought that was real.
0: So, do you do you think that you had that vision? Did somebody plant that vision inside of your head, or was this like fairy tales that you read, and you know, and movies that you watched growing up that made you sort of have that sense?
1: I don't recall anybody teaching me it, and I don't recall ever uh, reading a book or anything. But my earliest memories were always those highly romanticized sort of things that I'm a millionaire and I buy these elaborate gifts for this girl, and she's just so wowed by me. And, and we're just enamored with each other. I just had these ideas in my head. I have no idea of where they came from at the time. Uh, now as an older guy, I look back and I go, it's all over television. Every cartoon you see, every movie you see, every uh, hit when Harry met Sally, everything is, is telling you that vision of romantic love. So I suspect I just got it from, uh, from absorbing my environment.
0: So why do you think that we're fed that message all our lives?
1: It's, I, I believe it's by default. Um, there's a number of, of, of factors. One is that uh, media uh, successfully knows how to market things. Uh, so if you're a movie house, you know what will sell. And mm-hmm. romance sells. So uh, movies like uh, Sleepless in Seattle, it is just one of these heart-wrenching stories and it's wonderful and, and at the end you're in tears and everybody's happy with each other and isn't that what I want? That sells. So that's reinforcing the message something we've believed for a couple of hundred years. Mm -hmm. Uh, My my research has shown that in roughly the 1700s, uh, there was a romanticist movement in Europe where uh, fiction writers came up with these ideas of romantic love and what it's about. And they started writing these books about romantic love and they were a big hit in Europe. And that's when people first started seeing love in that romantic context where love became the thing where people stopped thinking of, of a marriage or a relationship as uh, this is a matter of convenience, it's a matter of, of merging our, our financial resources and, and where are the cows and chickens going? And they started seeing it as this is now heaven on earth, it's now I have a purpose, I have this amazing rapturous feeling and I want that, I want that peace in my life. Mm-hmm. So we've had a few hundred years of that being taught to us very indirectly through literature and novels and books and we've just absorbed it and accepted it as our new reality.
0: And so how do you feel like, because I don't think that anything is all good or all bad, right? There are like light and shadow aspects of each thing. So how has your romanticism both helped you in your life and what challenges has
1: it brought you? So I'll talk about the challenges is um, uh, during one of my amazing experiences in life, I had a uh, catastrophic leg injury. I was convalescing. At my sister's place for months, and I overheard a conversation by a female psychiatrist, and all I heard was the audio, and she said, the most dysfunctional people in my practice are those who are most highly romantic, and my ears perked up, and she says, these people have a very skewed view of what relationship and love means, it's very unrealistic, and the the relationships suffer because they don't have a realistic grasp of what love looks like and what a relationship, a healthy relationship can be. So I I listened to the entire program and I realized for the first time in my life at age 52, I've got codependent tendencies. I'm really needy. I'm emotionally needy and and this is not helping me. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. How's the negative stuff? On the positive side, and all of us have programming in our mind, myself inclusive So I have not flipped a switch where I've been able to erase the the romantic programming from my mind. Some of it is still there. Uh, The things that are still positive about it is that feeling of that belief that I could find somebody and feel really connected with them?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That is a wonderful feeling that I could feel really great in the presence of another. If you combine that with, I can be happy on my own and I don't need them to be happy. However, I can share my happiness with them and have an amazing connection. So now you're blending romance, going with this, having this idea of this beautiful, amazing connection with another being. Combined with if I'm healthy and secure in myself and if I can bring something positive to the table, then we've got something. So you start melding the two worlds and seeing, you know, it's it's not a bad thing. It's not something you've got to erase from your life. There's actually some stuff there that provides hope, like that vision, that hopefulness that I'm not going to get jaded because of online dating. I'm not going to get jaded because of the last date. I'm still going to be hopeful that it's possible to meet some person and have this amazing relationship. For however long you decide to stay in the relationship and it doesn't mean forever. It doesn't mean clinging and expecting. It doesn't. Uh mean I I have a vision and I need you to be in it. I need you to step in it or else you're evil. It's not that it's that I have an idea and I'll share with you and see if, if we both share that idea. And if we do, let's explore it together for as long as it lasts. And if it's three weekends over coffee, then that's amazing. And that's beautiful in itself. And if it's 20 years and it eventually goes, after 20 years, she says, you know, I'm, I'm really wanting to amp up my practice as a psychiatrist. And I'm going, I really want to be a movie producer. And that really doesn't overlap with you. Well, that might mean people go in their different directions and maybe their relationship is reconfigured, but you can part still loving each other and not being needy of each other. Mm-hmm. That's the difference.
0: Mm. So, so how did, uh, because you've, you've said needy a couple of times here, Yes. So so how were you needy in your previous relationships and, and how did that affect those
1: relationships? I believed that happiness comes from experiences, from, uh, from feeling good. I didn't differentiate between pleasure and happiness. So I thought when I'm having a pleasurable experience, that's happiness, that's good. And it's not pleasurable, I'm unhappy, that's bad. I got to avoid that. So I didn't realize until I was in my 30s uh, when I had this uh, management test that analyzed my personality, that I had two characteristics in me that were working against me. Uh, one was uh, that salesman kind of tactic of, here's what I believe in, and it's important you understand this. And when that doesn't work, I would avoid. And I had no idea I was doing this. So wow. let's try to sell through aggression. And then, oh, she's not listening to me. Oh, well, you know, and that sort of thing. I didn't have that communication. I didn't have the willingness to listen and, and accept the understanding that, two people can be really different and not agree and still love each other and still care for each other and still not agree i had no idea that's a possibility
0: yeah that was that was one thing that my parents taught me and and i've actually i've said this in a previous podcast before it's like you know some people think that when you, that when you're with somebody you should agree about everything and it's like well then we would be the same person right yes yeah, so my parents my parents were big advocators of we just agree to disagree. Yeah, yeah. We see things differently and that doesn't mean that I love you any less. That doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong. It just means we're unique.
1: And a really tangible example for your listeners is, uh, I don't like any alcohol. I've just never acquired a taste for it. To me, every wine, every beer, it just tastes like booze. I don't like it. So I could say booze is terrible. I could say that. More accurately, it is, I don't like the flavor of alcohol. Uh Someone else says, oh, red wine, it's delicious, I love it. So who's right? Who are we going to argue saying, well, who's right? Well, the answer is it's not that the wine tastes bad or good. It's one person enjoys it, the other doesn't. That's Uh the real truth, the deeper truth. So same thing happens in relationships. It's not this should be this way or this is good, this is bad. It's I feel comfortable with this. I desire this. And you might not. That's different than this is good or bad.
0: So when you, when you were in your previous relationships and
1: you've been married twice, is I, that right? I was legally married once. I was cohabitating, uh, living common law uh, the second time. So I've, I've actually had a number of long-term relationships. I'm, I'm what I call well-recycled or previously enjoyed. <laughs> uh, so, yes, yeah, so I, I was married. I've lived common law. I've been in an open relationship. I, I've tasted a variety of different configurations. Uh-huh. The secret I can reveal to your listeners is Every time that something went wrong, it wasn't the relationship. It wasn't because I've committed to monogamy here or because it's open or because this is common law or because this is married. It was always this guy, this Steve character, had deeply rooted problems that he wasn't even aware of and was not tending to, and he was bringing this with him into every single relationship. And that's not relationship guy with gout. It's work relationships, friend relationships, all of that. I was always bringing that with me. It was always inner stuff that was hurting my relationships and making me miserable. And I had no clue about this until well later in life.
0: So can you, can you tell us a little bit about what kind of stuff
1: you're referring to? Yeah. um, So me specifically, I I was um, a person I didn't know this until later is um, I I had uh, a feeling of, of not being loved. So to me, that was a big deal. And I associated love with lots of attention and focus on me. Mm-hmm. And with a woman physically desiring me, so if some pretty woman was nice to me, I would read big significance into that. I would think, "Oh, there's a big deal going on," as opposed to it's just some woman being nice to you. Uh, that's where my mind would jump. So I had these feelings of insecurity, low low self worth, not really thinking that well of myself, and not aware of this, uh, wanting uh, someone to pay attention to me and adore me and absolutely accept me for who I am. And uh, any psychiatrist who's listening to this would say, "You realize." that that's how an infant relates to a mother is that the the infant doesn't have a sophisticated mind. The infant needs that unconditional acceptance from the mother in order to survive. That's a survival thing. So as that infant mind grows, that imprinted pattern continues to persist So that infant becomes a 20-year-old that still needs someone to accept me unconditionally and love me and and agree with me and not argue with me and and always be into me. Whatever I'm into, she's okay with that. Whatever I'm not into, she just accepts that. And there's never any difference between her and me. That's a really infantile, and I don't mean that derogatorily, it's an infantile way of relating. And I had that in me for decades, not knowing it.
0: Do Do you feel like your parents unconditionally loved and accepted
1: you? I don't. I believe they did the best they could.
0: Uh-huh. I
1: believe there's a lot of judgment, a lot of expectations, and that's fairly common. Uh, is Most people don't practice unconditional love. Uh, we're not very good at that as humans. Uh, what we typically do is conditional fondness, is that if you give me what I want, I'll be fond of you, and I'll be nice to you, and I'll treat you well, but only as long as I get what I want out of you. And we don't realize this, but that's the way humans typically are towards other humans, is we're not good at... I will love you, and I'll care for you, and that doesn't mean being a doormat. But no matter what happens, I'll still love you. And you see this sort of thing happen with uh, typically between a mother and a child. For example, if a mother discovers that her 15-year-old son stole a car and he's now in police custody, and she sees him behind bars, uh, she might say to him, "You know, no matter what happens, I will always love you. I'll always be here for you. I will always care for you, even though I don't like where you are right now and what you did. You're unable to change the love I have for you." And,
0: and, and, and so what ways do you feel like your parents were not accepting
1: of you? Well, uh, my dad uh, was from Ukraine, so he, that's Eastern Europe. So uh, I didn't know this until years later, is that his greatest wish when he came to Canada was to give his kids what he valued most, his religion, his uh, social values, his culture. That's what he wanted is to give that to his kids. Uh I was born in Canada, first generation Canadian. And more than anything, I just wanted to be an average Canadian kid. I just wanted to blend in and be accepted. So I didn't want all this traditional stuff that the church, the Ukrainian school, I just wanted to be an ordinary Canadian kid. There's that conflict. And and my mother, she was a fearful person trying to get along with dad, trying to not have uh, discord going on. So I saw that as she's not standing up for me and taking it personally. That she's doing this for me as opposed to she's just fearing for herself, trying to fend for herself. She's not abandoning her kids. She's just trying to survive as best she can. So right. as a youngster, I just interpreted this very personally. Like dad doesn't care about me. He's, he wants me to be a mold of him. Mom isn't protecting me. I just took that personally. Um, not even consciously. Just that's the way I internalized it. Right. Years later, I realized everybody's doing the best they could. Everybody's wounded and everybody's just trying the best they can. So there was so, enough suffering to go all around.
0: So how so how did you like what was your awakening moment where you realized, wait a second, that, that you know, these thoughts I have or these feelings, these internal feelings that are causing me to doubt myself and to not really love and accept myself? Um, what, what what happened to you? Where you where that came to the forefront, and you're like, I need to I need to change this. I need to do something about this.
1: So, age forty eight, I'm sixteen years into my second long term relationship, uh, monogamous, um, haven't cheated, and a miserable in relationship. Uh, and I won't give you all the details about it, but I I was really unhappy in my relationship. And this friend of mine happened to suggest that I read a book. She said, This might be helpful to you. And the book was, You Can Be Happy No Matter What by Dr. Richard Carlson.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the book basically tells you about uh, the way that a human mind works. And that is, uh, our mind is full of programming. And, and we have tons of, of beliefs, opinions, assumptions, expectations, understandings. And we don't realize it's just programming in our mind. We think this is reality. So when I'm afraid, I'm thinking, I'm afraid. There's a reason why I'm afraid. As opposed to realizing this is a program in my mind that's generating an uncomfortable emotion. What's that about? So for the first time, I had that model that said, you know, the stuff in my mind, it's not all real. It's just programs that I really believe in. So I'm, I'm 48 at the time, realizing that for the first time and realizing that I'm living in this two-pound universe of my mind in this personal delusional field. And the reality I'm creating around me is because of my beliefs. So for the first time, I'm looking at myself and going, what am I doing here? What have I created? And I, I realized for the first time, I've created a prison of my, my own making. I believed happy wife, happy life. It's my job to make her happy. So I was trying to make her happy as best I could and being miserable for it, not realizing, you know, I can't make anyone happy. Nobody can make me happy. My happiness is my job. I didn't know that until 48. So here I am, finally understanding all this stuff and going, man, this is different than I'd always understood the ramifications mean nobody can change Steve. Nobody's going to fix Steve. I've got to get in the driver's seat and I've got to figure it out. So I can't just pick up some book or DVD and say, ah, just do this and you're done. No, no. Everybody's different. Everybody has a different baseline of what their beliefs are, what their assumptions are. So they'll have a different formula or a different path that will help them and work best for them. So at age 48 and this big reckoning, I'm realizing for the first time, if I want to stop suffering, if I want to have a, have a better life, I've got to figure this out. So my two big recollections were when I asked myself, what is it you want? Okay, uh, if I had to summarize it, I want more love in my life. I want more peace in my life because I'm always in arguments. I'm always in discord with my wife. So I want more peace and I want love. And I had to figure out what that meant. What does more love mean? So I had to research it. I started reading books and looking up different material and and researching different philosophers, Wayne Dyer, Byron Katie, um, uh, Neil Donald Walsh from Conversations with God, all sorts of different sources. And nobody has the answer. Everybody has their ideas. And just absorbing this stuff and looking at it and saying, what do I understand? What do I believe? So I concluded, part of love, love means that I have to learn how to really accept people for who they are rather than wanting them to fit my needs. That's huge.
0: That's huge because I, I think everything that you're talking about, you know, when, when we're in relationship with other people, if things aren't going right, we tend to point the finger, right? Yes. <laughs> why are you doing X, Y, Z or why aren't you doing ABC? And and it really, um, I mean, yes, of course, <laughs> they do have their own issues, but we have our own issues. And so how do we navigate changing the focus from the the blame, the criticism, the judgment to, to acceptance and what's going on inside of me that is being part of this co-creation. So how, how did you do that with yourself?
1: So I, I started by, um, this whole journey about love, and this will sound very hippie and, and woo-woo to some of your listeners, but...
0: That's okay. I love, I love hippie and woo-woo.
1: <laughs> I'm a hard science guy, and I really had to come to terms with this and really embrace the facts behind love. Uh, some of the factors about how can I become a more loving person were things such as being less judgmental of others. And, and I can't do that unless I become less judgmental of myself. It starts with me, meaning if I'm critical of myself, believing, well, a real man is like this, or if I want to be cool, I have to be like this, or if I want to be lovable, I have to be like this. If I'm believing all these things, then I will be criticizing myself for not measuring up to all these arbitrary things. That's the first criticism. And criticism is non-acceptance. So that means that I'm not really accepting and embracing myself. I'm really disliking myself on some level, I'm harshly critical of myself on some level and I'm not loving myself and I'm externalizing this because I'm not getting someone else to give me what I don't have. I don't love myself, so I want someone else to love me and I'm not accepting myself, so I want someone else to unconditionally accept me. That's the first step in realizing that I'm really creating my own mess. And the better we get at healing that internal stuff, gradually our external stuff gets better. And an example of that is, when I first really become better, not to completely heal, but just better at being okay with who I am, I can meet a different person, someone else who thinks differently than me, and not be jumping to, wow, she's really woo-woo, or she's really a nutcase, but just thinking, well, she believes in crystals and I don't. Uh, okay, that's, that's a difference. That's all. And, and it appears to work for her. Okay, maybe there's something to it that I don't understand as opposed to that's wrong, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And there's a thousand ways of it could work and I just can't wrap my head around it.
0: Well, and and, and different things speak to different people, right? Yes. Uh,
1: I don't know if you're familiar with Louise Hay.
0: I Uh, love Louise Hay. I I actually just had a huge conversation with somebody about Louise Hay.
1: (laughs) She's awesome. I, I once saw a presentation by her and she got up on the stage and said, you're going to see a dozen people on stage today and you're going to resonate with some of them and others you're going to think are absolutely bunk. Well, I want you to know that everyone is delivering the same message. They're just using different words and different ideas in their mind to express that. Uh. Listen to it with those words and you will realize that the guy who's talking about scientific research is still telling you the same thing about vibration that this other person is talking about. They're just using different words, but they're talking about the same thing. So don't let that get in the way of receiving the message of the next 12 people that will be on stage.
0: So how do, you, how do you open yourself up to these different messages? Because, because all of these things that you're talking about were messages that you were giving to yourself.
1: Yes. So
0: right? So how do, you, how do you make that shift?
1: Is, uh, the, the first thing I did, and there's, there's a thousand ways to do this. For me, it was uh, understanding that my brain, my mind, causes me to believe or disbelieve. We all have confirmation bias, and that is the propensity to believe whatever is consistent with your current way of thinking. And we'll always find evidence that supports that, that evidence and anecdotal evidence that says, ah, there's an example of, of what, what is true, and it really means there's an example of what I believe and I embrace it. Same thing with disbelief. So once we understand that, then we can say, oh, okay, it's just my mind that disbelieves. It's not necessarily untrue. It's just my mind disbelieves it. And a step further is then to ask yourself, if, if this was true, just for arguments purposes, if this was true, how would that be possible? How would it be possible that this thing actually works? So I'll give you an example. I don't believe in crystals. I don't know if they work or not. I don't believe in them. However, what I do know is that the placebo effect is real. Science has proven that whatever is in a person's mind, it affects their reality, even to the point of taking a placebo puffer and getting instant relief from a life-threatening asthma attack. Mm-hmm. It's, it's inert. It has nothing, nothing medicinal in it, but yet the person is getting instant relief from a life-threatening asthma attack. What's going on? Obviously something in the mind, the power of the mind is influencing their physicality. So that's so
0: is, so is everything a placebo?
1: It might be the answer is yes and no. Right. So it might be, but it's not <laughs> bad. So with respect to crystals, is that for me, I might go to do that crystal stuff and it doesn't work for me, but for someone else who believes in it, it could be unlocking, Powers within their mind, higher self, or whatever you might call it, that is actually changing their life. So, but for do, example.
0: But do you, do you think that maybe even for yourself, if you just changed your beliefs about it? Yes,
1: yes. I have noticed for myself, yeah. Can, can you talk about that? Yeah, I used to believe that that's not true according to science. And a, a wonderful woman in my life pointed out to me, so, Steve, you're aware of every single scientific research that ever has existed. And I went, well, no. <laughs> so, Steve, personally validate each one. You you have the knowledge to personally <laughs> every paper to know if it's right or not. You can peer review every one, right? And I went, well, no. <laughs> okay, I get it. I
0: get what it. A, what a great woman to to challenge a scientific mind, right? It's great. <laughs>
1: So the fact was, yeah, I'm just holding up these papers as examples of what I believe, but I really can't, I can't authenticate them or or challenge them. It's just a reflection of what I believe. So now that I've embraced that, when I look at other people, listen to other people, I go, it's inconsistent with my mind's way of thinking. It doesn't mean it's not real. And my favorite example is Abraham, uh, Esther Hicks of Abraham Hicks fame. And she talks about vibration and and being uh, in vibration with your vortex 11 years ago, when I heard this, I was literally angry at the screen. Real life doesn't work that way. You can't wish your way into happiness and prosperity. I was angry and I wouldn't listen to it. Gradually over time, I started seeing little bits of truth about what you said, just little bits, tiny bits. So here yeah, I am. Why, 11- why,
0: didn't, why did you continue to listen if you didn't believe it right away?
1: Well, and I, I can explain that is whatever you throw at a mind, the mind will absorb it, even unconsciously, and it works on it. So what happened is when, when my mind got exposed to this bunk, uh, in, in air quotes, uh, it, it all got stuck in my subconscious mind. And my subconscious mind started relating all these various prop- proposed ideas to other things in my mind already and started saying, well, you know, this, this might be kind of true. And I wasn't aware of this, but it inspired me to be more receptive to listening to a bit more of it as opposed to just being totally shut off. So I was entertained the possible. Yeah, maybe I'll listen to a bit more of it. It's, it's fun, but, but I'll give it another try. Subconsciously, the mind is going, but there's, there's this little bit of truth here, you know? So the more I listen to it, the more I, the mind, the subconscious mind sees more and more bits of truth and starts putting the links together and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, this one thing is totally true. Uh, I didn't see that before. It's totally true. So I can relate to that one thing, but everything else, not so much. And the mind just keeps on working on that over time and over time. So a decade later... I can tell you, even though Abraham Hicks might sound very airy-fairy, I've experienced much of what she talks about firsthand, including instant manifestation where you go, that is just so freaking weird. How is that possible? And I've done it time and time again, and it, it just surprises me. So now when I listen to Abraham Hicks, I said, these three things, I haven't experienced them. I don't know if they're right or not, but that's just because my brain can't wrap itself around it yet. But I can tell you that a lot of the stuff that she talks about, I've already experienced. So maybe it's right. Can, maybe there's something
0: there. Can do you want to share a little bit for people who aren't familiar with Abraham Hicks like what like what drew you to the the message and and what do you embrace as wow I, this is pretty cool like the manifestation and you know wanting to talk a little bit about that.
1: Okay so Esther Hicks uh mm-hmm. my best knowledge of her is uh she uh, appeared on the scene in around 1985 and according to Hicks um she is uh in communication with uh, a broader non-physical consciousness, and she calls it Abraham. Okay. So um, th- okay. that that's the story she tells, and and she can communicate and, and ask questions of it and get answers of that that uh, non-physical intelligence and communicate it back to people here. Uh, so I would not encourage people to say accept everything blindly because she's a channeler. I, I don't say that, I and I don't believe that. Um, her messages overall are that. Uh, that we have greater abilities than we think we do. And that if we are aligned and these are her words, if we are aligned with our desires and they show up in our life and I've struggled with that word alignment, what does alignment mean? Um, so I've interpreted it as absence of resistance and being truly sincerely for whatever it is that you want. So for example, um, this is a personal example in my life is uh, I'm a independent consultant. I'm a self-employed, so I work when I want to, whenever work shows up. And a number of times I found myself not having money and borrowing already and no money's coming in. And the same woman said to me, she said, so Steve, what's that about? And I will tell her, ah, oh, geez, I, I don't want to have to travel into the city in order to get the kind of money I want. And I'm going to have to slog through traffic. It's going to be terrible. And she said to me, well, but those are just assumptions that you have. What if, what if you could get a good income, uh, and and what if uh, say you had to travel an hour and a half in traffic, but uh, you could take the toll road and uh, you could listen to your your iPod and, and all those audiobooks that you have? What if you could do that? You'd have a great time commuting. And I went, oh, but but it would be really expensive. It'd be four hundred dollars a month in, in toll fees. And she said, but what if you're getting paid a hundred bucks an hour and it's just four hours work out of the month? It's trivial. So when I consider that, I went, you know, I guess you're right. You know, if all those things fell into place, um, that'd be cool. So. This will sound woo-woo, but I looked up at the ceiling, and I spoke up to the universe in the air quotes. I said, I welcome any opportunity that resembles like that into my life. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from a woman I had not heard of in two years, and she said, uh, you might not remember, we used to work together. We have this opportunity that you might be interested in. Long story short, it requires an hour and a quarter commute on a toll road, roughly 400 bucks a month in toll fees, but the income was really good, and the the job was absolutely perfect. I loved it. So it was an ideal that I was not welcoming because I had assumed I'm going to hate the traffic. I'm going to hate the commute. Uh, I'm not going to want to travel. Uh, The the money might not be good. I just assumed all these things and that was creating my resistance. And you can call it subconsciously choosing to not follow up. Or uh, this is the woo-woo part is that we might be emanating something in some way to the broader universe, to the world at large. And Other people might be picking up on that at some subconscious level because I don't know whether it's coincidence or what it is, but within about two weeks I get this phone call out of the blue without me even phoning up or making a resume or anything. I just get this phone call and that's happened several times where this woman said to me, Steve, what, what if this scenario happened? What if you got a little less money, but you could work from home? Would you be okay with that? Actually, that'd be great. I'm not kidding you. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from an ex-person I've been working with and they can't offer me my regular money, they're offering me a little bit less, but hey, I can work from home, I can make up my own hours and it's the ideal job. It's when I reduced my resistance, when I finally said, there's nothing in me stopping this, there's nothing in me that's holding back, I truly desire it and welcome it, that's when it started happening.
0: Do you you think it's because our mind is so limited in what's possible? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) We can't, like I I feel like you know, this, this world is this huge, um, like huge pieces of a puzzle. Yeah. And we can only see, you know, what's right in front of us. We can't see all the corner pieces and all the edge pieces that are out there that are possible. And so, so how do you, how do you accept, because it really is this, this openness, this, this acceptance of I don't have all the answers. And so maybe something out there knows better than me or, you know, to bring me the things that I'm really desiring that I don't know how to create them. Because it's, it's a matter of, you know, I think a lot of times we want to do, we're like so busy trying to effort. Yeah. Um, and And I know that's one of the things that that Abraham talks about. It's like, stop trying to paddle upstream, you know, when it's hard, when it's not working, that means you're not going in the right direction. Yeah. So how do you, how do you surrender to that flow and that ease?
1: So I have a very logical mind and in some ways it's great. In some ways it's one of my worst enemies. So I try to use my logical mind in order to work on my logical mind. So so I try to adopt some logical, Fact-based understanding that helps me understand the limits of my fact-based mind. Okay. So, for example, I do not encourage the belief everything is possible. I don't encourage that. Okay. For example, I I likely cannot sprout wings out of my back and fly out my balcony window right now. Um, no matter how much maybe, somebody says, maybe maybe tomorrow so, or the next week. My <laughs> so mind can't embrace that. However, something well short of that is I can't tell you, Dawn. limits of your mind. However, I am certain the limits of your mind are far bigger than you believe they are. So our mind has assumptions, it has beliefs, how the world works, um, how the next date will evolve, what my partner will say when I ask this. We have assumptions, we have beliefs, and we think, we really believe they're true, but we don't know. We really don't know until we test these things. So the way to test these things is to step out of our comfort zone is to actually try something. And it might not work the first time. Uh-huh. My favorite example is, is uh, imagine a guy walking up to a woman wanting a date. And he says to her, um, uh, I, if, if you're not doing anything on um, like next Thursday, like maybe like um, if you'd like to, uh, if you don't mind, like we could maybe go like uh, do something and uh, like hang out or something. Imagine that scenario. And imagine this woman's reaction. What would it be? Likely, it would be, I don't feel inspired to go there. And he's thinking, see, women want hot guys. They want guys who are ripped, and and I'm not, so that's why she's not interested in me. What he doesn't realize is the limits of his own mind are that he's got lack of self-esteem. He's got low self-confidence. He's not feeling good about himself. That's projecting all sorts of other things on his external world. It's, It's influencing his beliefs. That, that someone can't accept me unless I'm cool. Well, hang on. If you can't accept yourself, if you're not in love with yourself, how can anybody be interested in you unless it's pity? You know, that's that's his world. That's the world he lives in until he can expand it and go, you know, it's possible that if I just worked on me rather than trying to get some woman to make me happy. If I just started working on me about feeling better about myself, maybe my relationship might might get better. Maybe. Let me give that a try.
0: So let me ask you, how does somebody come to accept themselves?
1: Uh, that's, it's, a, that's,
0: it's a challenge. I think some people go through their whole yes. life and don't do that.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, what what I did, um, and there are many ways to do this, though so I can speak most easily to my path, is uh, I decided for the time being, I'm going to not seek a partner to make me happy. I want to not seek that, even though I desperately want a woman in my life, even though I really want that, just for the time being, I'll put that aside and I'm going to work on the inner me. So I'm going to try to figure out how can I be more happy? How can I be more well in myself on a day-to-day basis and really work on that? And that was my journey. It was my trek of, of really figuring that stuff out. And much of it was uh, that that book, You Can Be Happy No Matter What. It was part of it where it explains that we have all sorts of beliefs about ourselves, such as. What should a man be like? What should a woman be like? Uh, what is appealing to the opposite sex? Uh, we, we believe that as opposed to realizing, hang on, you can't even make that statement, what's appealing to women? Because there's about three and a half billion of them on the planet. They're all, <laughs> right? unique. They're all unique. So,
0: so if, men, if men thought they were confused before, now they really know they're confused.
1: <laughs> but the thing is, there isn't one answer. So the, the belief I have thoroughly embraced is work on my inner stuff. Learn how to become a loving person. And loving means I can connect with somebody. I can talk with somebody on the phone and say, Man, isn't he adorable? I love that guy to bits. He's just so awesome. I want to see him again. He's just great. Doesn't mean I want to have sex with him. Doesn't mean I want to uh, move in with him. It just means I have a deep appreciation for this person. Uh-huh. And because we don't live together, I don't have needs of him, such as, Oh, you got to clean up the peanut butter after you make a sandwich. Or I need you to be tidy. I need you to have a wake up at a certain time because it interrupts my sleep. I can have that amazing freeness with him or her. Uh Uh So because I don't have all those needs and expectations of ownership, -ownership, co-ownership, you fit into this role, we live together, and all those other peripheral things, it becomes a lot easier to love somebody. So I started working on that, practicing those loving relationships. And that means form relationships with people without the need or the intention of we're going to become a pair bond, we're going to date. It's Uh just learn to appreciate. Go to social circles and learn how to socialize and appreciate somebody. Learn how to go for a coffee or a tea with somebody and just appreciate them for the next hour. Put your phone aside, put it in your pocket so it's not ringing or buzzing and focus on that person and try to see who they are and figure out what's going on there. What are their fears? What are their concerns? What are their desires? What are their aspirations? How can I relate to this? How is it similar to me? How is it different? Isn't this amazing? And just appreciate that without needing them to be anything.
0: Is that all of those things that you just said it starts with asking those questions and, and that inner discovery of your own inner
1: world. It always starts with self. That is the right? first relationship. How can I have a relationship with a woman that's wonderful? If I can't even have a relationship with myself, that is wonderful. I can't give what I don't have. Right. So unless so I learn-
0: so learning to appreciate your own inner world.
1: Yeah. And, and part of that is acceptance is let go of that judgment. Uh-huh. The stuff we've been taught, such as it's bad if you're dating someone to be dating another person. That's evil. That's wrong. Well, how about doing what you believe, what you desire, and just be honest about it. Uh-huh. So if someone says, uh, are you seeing anybody else? Yes, actually, I'm dating another woman, and I find her kind of interesting. And yeah, so I'm seeing somebody else. If the person you're across the table from says that's unacceptable, they are right for them. That is unacceptable. Uh Another person might say, that's cool. Tell me about what it is that you're looking for in a relationship. What is it? What is it? You haven't found yet that you're hoping to find Mm. that conversation might come up. And that's the person you might want to talk with more deeply.
0: Do you, do you feel it's um, it's because people have all of these preconceived expectations of, of what somebody else should be? Yes. And, and, we, e, and even of yourself, expectations yes. of this is who I should be or what I should think or what I should feel or what I should do based on my external world, all of the experiences that I've had and all of the people that have influenced my view. So, yeah. how, so how do you like eliminate all of the, because that's external noise, right? Yeah. So how do, you, how do you eliminate all of that external noise and really um, learn how to listen to what's going on inside of you?
1: So the, the unfortunate fact is that our mind is full of programming, some of it helpful, some of it not. And we've been accumulating this since birth from our primary caregivers, our siblings, our peers, our schools, our religions, our culture, our society, our media. We've been absorbing this stuff and not filtering it out. We've just been pulling it in until we get to a certain point where we've got so much data in our mind. We start creating our own filters, saying, oh, this is inconsistent with what I believe. Therefore, I reject it mm-hmm. so from the age of zero to about seven. We are sponges Till about 18. We're still sponges, but to a lesser degree. And our mind is just absorbing this stuff. So some of it is helpful. So I will not tell you what's legitimate or not. I would ask you, what is supporting of your happiness and well-being? And actually, I'd back up and say, is your happiness important to you? And some people actually go, I have priorities. I have, I have urgent things in my life okay, so I accept the fact that you have priorities and you have urgent things in your life and happiness is less important to you. So don't be surprised that you're not happy because it's not a priority for you. It's not a focus. You're not paying attention to it. You're not giving it fuel. That's why it's taking a back seat and you're not happy. Mm -hmm. If you ever choose that you want to be happy, you've got to decide to say, my happiness is important. I've got to figure out how to make that happen. So I would encourage people to look at yourself, look at your beliefs, including the conflicts, and try not to judge them. Try, try to just accept it. So, for example, uh, somebody might say, I value a monogamous relationship. Okay, that's one program in your mind. Another part might be saying, but my wife's sister is really hot. That's another part in your mind. Both are truths, and there is no right answer. There's no proper or improper way. We are taught to say or accept that the one proper relationship model is the monogamous pair bond, and you should not think those things. You're evil for even thinking them. That's one model. Then we'll judge ourselves, and we can't admit it to ourselves. We can't talk about it. We can't even say it. We can't even think about it because that's evil. One. I don't want to be an evil person, so I will deny that, and I'll block it away. The, the thing I recommend is, is look at that. Examine it. Come to terms with what you really are. And, and the, there are programs that desire things that are in conflict. I want safety. I want security. And yet I want adventure, and I, and I want intrigue. Uh, how do you get that out of one person? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it might be difficult.
0: I, I want. I want to feel close and connected, and yet yes. I want. I now want freedom. Yes. Yes. So how do you how do you manage those paradoxes in your life?
1: And and there is no single answer. the The thing is that you truly truly do co create your reality, and that is if you can come to terms and accept who you are, and and talk at least with your within yourself that uh, this this kinky thing uh, I kind of like that idea. Um, I've been thinking about it. If you can at least share that with. The, say that you're in a, in a relationship. Share that with your partner. Say, I, I'm not saying I want to act upon this. I just want to share this thought I have in my mind, this this kinky sort of thing. I, I, I kind of like that. What are your thoughts on that? You might discover your partner goes, well, that's kind of cool because I, I kind of like that thing too. Mm-hmm. And after 20 years of being together, you're now discovering, wow, this thing I've been holding under tarps is, uh, is actually something we shared and I never knew because I assumed it was bad and even I wouldn't dare talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, You can come to terms with what you are and embrace it and accept it as it's just who I am at this time. It's just the programming I embrace at the time. And yes, anything can change, but there's no should change. It's a matter of what do I decide to change?
0: Yeah, I I feel like it's, it's being curious. Yeah. Asking yourself all sorts of questions. And you could say, I'm curious about this. And then I, and then also say, but I choose not to explore it any further than my curiosity. Yes. Right. And and the same is true with your partner, but to have that open and honest conversation where you're more like, like a researcher.
1: Yes. Right. Yes. You're researching your own mind, your own, you're shining a light on that dark stuff and going, and by dark, I don't mean evil. It means unaware stuff and saying, what is this thing here? I've never seen that before oh, so that's what it is. I have this weird fetish of of, um, of a woman being submissive and it doesn't mean I want to marry into that. I don't want to live that lifestyle. It's just that, would you would you want to try that in, in, in the bedroom for just 20 minutes and see how that works and anytime we can stop, does that work for you? Does that work for both of you? Uh, just discovering those things. We have uh-huh. so many injunctions that tell us you shouldn't. This is bad. This is evil. This is not the model you were raised with. And if we continue to uh, to not look at that and then to criticize and, and continue judging it as being bad, then that just becomes suppressed stuff. We still desire it, but right. it's still affecting us. Right. But we're, we're refusing to look at it, we're refusing to acknowledge it, we're refusing to even talk about it. So That's what the, shows up as is in a relationship, all of a sudden a guy's having an affair. Right. Well, he's been wanting this, he's been thinking about this for 50 years, but he can't talk about it, he can't relate to it with his wife because, well, she might leave, she might... Well, now he's doing this on a slide as opposed to right from day one. It's just saying, I, I just want to tell you about some thoughts in my head. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm going to act upon it, but th- these thoughts are in my head. And What do you think about this? And the funny thing is the closer you get with somebody in a relationship, the more synergy happens, the more unexpected stuff happens, the more stuff that you think was a limit on them might show up as, wow, I never knew that it, that existed in you. I never knew about that. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, you, you end up being surprised with your own partner going and delightfully surprised going, I, I didn't know you were like that. This is really cool. We need to go away on on, on a weekend uh, to a hotel for a while and just, you know, just have a date and just like have a decadent day and just dinners and walking out on the beach together and, and, and explore this this thing we were talking about. Uh, th- that's all a possibility, but you'll never know unless you dare to share it and to share it, you've got to be okay within yourself to say, yes. I own this. It's part of, What's part of me at this moment, and I just want to let you know about it.
0: Yeah, and I and I think I mean that's part of the conscious connection, you know, that I'm that I'm talking about because I feel like so many times in our lives we hide different aspects of ourselves. Yeah. Um, that we feel like you know we we judge or criticize or blame or shame you know things in ourselves and things in each other as opposed to just approaching them like. Huh? I'm I'm just exploring this. What's going on? How am I feeling? What's it reminding me of? Where do you know? Where do I want it to go? Or, um, you know, what do you think about it? So that instead of it being like this, um, this like wall between you and a, and a potential partner, that it's actually at a beautiful opening to have deeper conversation and establish deeper understanding of the other person as well as of yourself
1: yes yes now something that your listeners are probably acutely aware of is if you've been with somebody for a number of years it's really hard to step from where you used to be with these walls and these barriers to let's be totally open that's a difficult scary proposition because within us is the fear of what if i'm not accepted what if i'm right right fears come up and There's no right or wrong answer of what you should do. The choice I made for myself, because I was just so miserable, um, and misery inspires a lot of change, is I finally decided that I've got to learn how to be authentic and accept myself and be real with who I am. And I can't be authentic with someone else unless I really come to terms with who I am. And unless I'm comfortable talking with somebody about who I am, then I'm really not comfortable with who I am. So uh, I've worked on this for over a decade, and I'm finally at a stage where, where for your listeners, is uh is Don uh, and I chatted, uh, and I can't remember if it was phone or if it was a messenger, but we chatted by voice. Yeah. Here's a person I've never connected with, I've never talked to, and uh, our first connection, and I'm feeling totally comfortable talking about very deeply personal things, my relationships, my sexuality, uh, fantasies I've had. I, I feel comfortable with that, not because of who Don is but because of who I am. And that is, I don't fear that John Don might recoil and go, oh, that's kind of not my cup of tea. I just accept that. that might not be a cup of tea, but I feel good enough about me to be able to talk about what I'm about. Mm-hmm. But I would also recommend to listeners, don't try to jump from zero to 101 step. <laughs>
0: right, so baby if, steps, baby so steps. So <laughs> if you've
1: been with your partner for 15, 20 years and you want a more open relationship, is start off by talking about your desire for a more open relationship. Consider sitting down and saying, you know, I saw a program that's inspiring me to look deeper into myself and really come to terms with who I am. Mm -hmm. So what I would like to try to explore with you is me sharing deep stuff within me that I've never talked about for various reasons, shame or guilt or just embarrassment or just not feeling good about it myself. Would you be receptive to hearing any of that? Would you be wanting to participate in that? And if you get a, I don't know about that you know where you stand, right? You're am ready for it. And if you get uh, an S saying, Whoa, I, I really do want to hear that. Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. I'd love to do the same with you because I've, I've been really scared about stuff inside me that I didn't know how to approach. But now that it's starting to open up, let, let's talk about it. If you get that response then you can start in baby steps, start a bit at a time.
0: And, and so how, how has that affected the way that you're able to connect with people?
1: I, I believe that I am able to connect with virtually anybody who wants to connect with me. Uh-huh. And that's because I believe I feel good about myself. And I want to emphasize to your listeners, that doesn't mean totally healed, totally cured. It just means a lot better than I was. Yeah. I'm in a good enough place to say, yeah, I'm comfortable talking about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I still have a, a ton of things that I'm working on like everyone else. I still have a lot of inner homework that needs to be tended to that I choose to tend to like everyone else. Uh, as, as much as someone might think Steve's got his stuff together, I've got a load of things I'm still working on, as everyone else does. But I feel good enough to be able to have a conversation with somebody and know that some people will hate me, some will love me, it has nothing to do with me. It's a reaction of how their mind is reacting to me. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're right and they're okay in their reaction. Right. Someone says, oh, this guy, Steve, uh, he's, he, uh, I don't want him around me. They're right. They don't want me around and we don't connect. We don't have this this vibe, and that's that's okay. Someone else might say, oh, my God, he's the most amazing guy. I just I just want to marry him. He's so wonderful. I'd be going, okay, that's in her mind. I'm not feeling that. I'm very cautious <laughs> now. Uh, I, I, might, I might want to put some lines around and say, uh, let's not explore it. Or I might ask her, tell me what that's about. Um, yeah. But that's just reflecting the other's reaction to me. So when we can get better about who we are, we can then be more open about, ourselves with others. Yeah, so I connect with people really easily. And, and some people like yourself are, are very much in a journey of, of happiness, self accountability, um, maximizing the connection in a relationship, exploring multiple relationships. And I don't mean polyamory, I mean, learning how to love people in a non sexual way It's just mm-hmm. connecting deeply with yeah. friends and saying, Oh, that guy over there, he's my best friend, love him to bits that woman over there. Oh, she's adorable. She's amazing. And being able to say that you have a number of deep, close, amazing relationships. And if you don't hear from someone for a year, that's fine. If I'm worried, I will call and say, are you okay? I haven't heard from you in a while. Are you okay? That's cool. Uh, But not take it personally, not feel offended. Oh, you haven't called me for a month. What's the matter? Everybody is free and I feel free with others. I love them for who they are. I allow them to be who they are and I connect with them as they are. So it lets me have connections with people and feel good about people. Yeah. And, and,
0: and feel good about yourself. I mean, I would imagine that that's why you're writing this happy book.
1: Yes. Yeah. You want to, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 11 years ago when I started making this transition, my life started changing in a big way in unimaginable ways. Uh, I I could tell you so many stories of how my life just started changing shocking ways that I just stood back and went, this isn't possible. How can it change so quickly? So bigly. But it was, so I started writing this book. I wanted to share this because I was just so bright and knowledgeable. I wanted to share everything I knew with the whole world. So here I am a decade later, still writing this book and going back and reviewing, going, ah, I see this differently now, so I'm going to tweak this. Uh, What the book is about, it's about discovering lasting happiness. Mm -hmm. The secret, the condensed version is you're not going to get it externally. It's all about you internally and the way your mind works. And the way your mind works generates your emotions. Most people don't know that and they don't accept that. They say, I have an emotional part of me, my heart, and a logical part of my brain. So here's an example. If you have a roommate and you believe your roommate is a thief, you will feel the emotions of trepidation, suspicion, and angst in the presence of this roommate, regardless if they're a thief or not. You'll feel this just because you believe it. That's the way our mind works, is we feel according to our thoughts. So if you change your thoughts, you change your life. Yes. If you believe I need this woman to accept me for who I am, and I need her to just unconditionally love me, if you believe that's what you need to feel good about her, you're going to feel bad when she says, "Steve, I disagree with you on this and this." You're going to take it personally, as opposed to, "Okay, she disagrees. Let me dig into that and find out what's the disagreement about." I might change she, through our dialogue. She might point out something I never realized. I went, "Oh yeah, you're right. I never thought of it that way." I, huh. okay, so I no longer believe this thing I believed about myself. Okay, so I've changed now. Or you might continue to believe what you did and just say, well, okay, we see it differently. I accept we see it differently. And not take it personally, not take it as a withholding of love just because we disagree. Right. That's, that's humanity. That's all of humanity. We will never find that idealized, Disney-esque perfect fit and live happily ever after because that was sold to us. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's
0: it's, to have it's, it's what you create.
1: It's yes. It's what you
0: help co-create. And as
1: you said, co-create, right. Is I have my part, she, they, he, they have their part. And together we make a recipe of those ingredients. And it's a unique recipe that that's that relationship between those people. And it's co-created yeah. my assumptions that I have on you are going to influence my relationship with you. Right. Whether they're true or not, they will influence it. Right. So uh, I'm ex- So when do you think this book is going to come out? That's what people ask me. And, uh, truthfully, I don't know. Um, the reason being is because I'm no longer working towards a deadline. Um, I used to sweat about needing to get this book out, needing it to be a bestseller and needing it to be profitable, needing it to, uh, needing me to get on the speaking circuit and make money off of that. Uh, and I believe that's the way I've got to make a living. I've got to make that happen. And it caused me a lot of stress and it showed up in my writing until this same uh. few friend said to me, you know, Steve, do what you love doing. You, you like this stuff. Go ahead, keep on researching it. Do that. Uh, you like sharing this information, do that freely. Just share with anybody you want. Do it on Facebook. Uh, Go into forums and talk with people. Just share that freely and let money come into you whatever way it wants. Just let your income come from a variety of sources. It doesn't have to be this way. Uh, So, uh, of course, she was right. Uh, So (laughs) so I do write a lot. I speak with people a lot. I love talking about this stuff. And I'm in no rush to get my book out. So my guess would be a year or two. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, But if you... If you follow my Facebook page, um, you, when it comes out, I'll announce it to the world and say, it's out. You can find it here. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, you can find a lot of the free stuff in, on my Facebook page where I just write, I share about these thoughts. Something will inspire me to talk about a theme. And I will really do my soul searching about this and, and, and discover, like, what does it have to learn about this? Here's what I thought. Here's what I believe. Yes. And I, Steve, st-
0: Steve has a lot of great, great posts
1: on his Facebook page. So please follow him. You want
0: to spell your last name for everybody?
1: So on uh, my Facebook page is Steve McElhin, M-A-K-O-H-I-N. I'm the only guy on Facebook. It's not a commercial page. It's just my personal page. And, and click follow if, if you want to see more of this stuff um, because I reserve the friends list for, for personal family. Uh, and at some point, I'll create a, a public fi- uh, figure Facebook page. But that's who I am for now. Uh, and I stress to people, um, everything that I write isn't the truth so it is a truth you will find your own truth and you will discover it your way Uh, you will always discover your truth and some of what i say might be bunk to you and some parts might be absolute amazing and you'll find that everywhere Uh, you will discover your truth and that's important to know is that no one can hand you your truth you've got to figure out your way you've got to figure out that this is who i am at this moment this is how i'm wired yes here are my sensitivities and and honor that yeah. Don't discredit your sensitivities and, and, and your fears by saying, oh, I shouldn't be afraid. I should just muscle through this. It's you. It's who you are. It's your programming at this time. It's legitimate. If you're afraid of something, consider a more gentle approach of working through it rather than the forceful walking through fire, such yeah. as kind of touch on it a little bit, explore it rather than, than forcing it. Uh, right. That's another angle that Abraham talks about, Abraham Hicks, uh, where she talks about a gentle change. I prefer that personally because I hate pain. Uh, explore the gentle, gradual change. And it may take a year or two or three or five, uh-huh. but, but it's, it, but it's, but it's a journey. Like it's not yeah. a destination, right? It's never a destination. It's a journey. Happiness is like that too. You will never become happy in air quotes. You will become happier than you were. Uh-huh. So where you are now, you might think, Oh, if this and this and this was, was in my life, I would be happy. Okay. And then it happens and you go, Oh, if this and this and this additional thing was in my life, I'd be happy. Okay, and then it happens, and you keep on striving for more and more and more, thinking that someday I'll be happy. Well, my advice is learn how to be happy now. It doesn't mean never strive for more or right. different. It just right. means learn to be happy with what is. Exactly. What is. Exactly. Then it's
0: like you have to just embody happiness. It doesn't yeah. matter what's going on around you. It's like, uh, you know, I know that a bunch of crap's going on around me, but I still feel a sense of happiness. And it's not like, Oh my God, I'm so happy. But just like this, this sense of contentment and I'm okay. And all's right in the world, even though, you know, a bunch of stuff is going on. It it doesn't matter. It's that, that internal peace and acceptance and, um, really just embracing who you are. Yeah. Right. This is who I am today. It'll yeah. be an interesting discovery to see who I become tomorrow Yes, <laughs> because it's, we're ever evolving. Right.
1: And that journey of happiness, it's ongoing. So no matter where you are, you can always take a step up. You will never hit that roof and going, well, I'm as happy as I can be. I've hit it. I've reached right. it. Right. It can always be something else because you will understand and experience your happiness differently depending on where you are in life. Yeah. What, one of my favorite examples is a, a drug addict might say, I'm happy when I get my hit of cocaine. And a former drug addict might say, I never imagined how happy I could be when I got off of cocaine. Mm -hmm. And then later on, a person says, I never knew how happy I could be when I, until I got into yoga. That's just amazing. And it just keeps on going on and on. You just discover this new joy. Right. And you just carry it with you, carry your happiness with you. And you keep on discovering new joys as you move along. And there's just another layer of happiness that you keep on putting on your happiness.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful, a beautiful journey of self-discovery. Yeah.
1: So- even though, even though you're on that journey, I want listeners to know that crap will still happen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you will still get your struggles. You will still have your experience where you go, oh, that surprised me. Oh, I'm not liking that. Yeah. But the better you get at your inner homework, the less intense those experiences are, the less long they last, the quicker you recover, and the less horrible they are. So yes. you have your experience and you go, oh, I didn't care for that. And a day later, you're going, oh, yeah, that thing. I forgot about it. Uh, you just recover from it quickly.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's so obvious, Steve, how much internal work you've done. Uh, I mean, it's just beautiful, like really, really beautiful. And so, okay, so my last question that I like to ask my guests
1: is what's your definition of real love? Ah, there are so many aspects of it. Um, I'll start brainstorming and tell me when I should stop. (laughs) Uh, Deep appreciation. And this is, deep love is for self and another. So I'm talking about both myself and another. So if I was looking at a man or a woman, deep appreciation, uh, acceptance for who they are, uh, not needing them to be something, freedom, Mm. allowing them, freeing them, allowing them to be who they are and not needing it to be something else. Um, Caring about them. And that doesn't mean having to fix them or tend to them, but, caring for their, their happiness and their well-being, uh, that they matter to me, uh, that I would invest myself in them in some way. Uh, and that is uh, someone calls me and says, I, I need to talk with you. Uh, love for that person is, um, yeah, I had another appointment um, that's not that important. I'm going to put that aside and let, let's talk what's going on. Uh, it's Yeah, I'd say that's a good start, is the appreciation, the, the, the non-neediness the, the not hoping that you'll fix gaps within me, letting you be who you are and appreciating that. And if anyone has seen the movie Avatar, there's a line in there where they say, I see you. It doesn't mm. mean literally, I see you with my, with my eyes. It means I'm seeing into you, your being. I, I understand who you are and I see that and I accept it. And, That's and, and beautiful. That so I would say that that to me is real love. That's beautiful. That's really, really
0: beautiful. I, I see you, Steve McElhan. I see you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. You have uh, just lit up my world. <laughs>
1: my pleasure speaking with you.
0: Um, okay, so if you like what you heard today, listeners, please subscribe and share with your friends. And if you would like support in finding more connection expansion fulfillment, authenticity, freedom, and acceptance um, in your relationships. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Awakening with Dawn. Feel free to send me a message and I'd be happy to help you find and create more real love in your life. And, you know, as Steve uh, has said numerous times so astutely because you have done your inner homework um, and and the thing that I, I really think is so important is, is that the most important relationship you will ever have is the one you have with yourself so that you can be the kind of partner that you want to have. So thank you so much for being here, Steve, you are more than welcome to come back anytime. It's been a pleasure, pleasure talking to you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thank you listeners. Uh, thanks for joining in and we will see you next time. Here is, uh, I just encourage everybody to wake up to real love. All right, I'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.